You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, and he went wherever I did go. It's Jeff McLarge, huge. <laughs> oh, fishy, 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 oh, fish. Oh, fishy, 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 fishy. Uh, yes. Hey, man, how you doing? <laughs> I'm I'm okay. I play a lot of video games, I think we've mentioned before. I have this nice little setup down in my cellar. I'm a member of the PlayStation Plus, which means I get free video games. Oh, nice. Last summer, one of the games that they gave us was a Tomb Raider game. Now, I never really liked the Tomb Raider series on the PlayStation. It seemed like a lot of walking around. I've played games like that, like Fallout New Vegas, where after four hours of wandering around in the desert, I was like, oh, I'm done with this. Uninstall. <laughs> I did one of the Final Fantasies games like that. I was like, this yeah. is a walking simulator. So, right. But anyway, the uh, Tomb Raider game that I played, I don't remember what it was. It was set like, there was a lot of ice, okay? There was a lot of ice. But it was super good. I, like, pissed right through the game. And then earlier this year, there was another Tomb Raider game. You know, I went through that. That was a much longer game. I went through that one, too. And then it got me thinking about, like, franchises and stuff. One of the most popular games of all time would be, you know, remember on the Atari 2600, the original Pitfall game? Sure. Everybody right? had that. I had yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, like the whole world had that. It was like one of the, it was groundbreaking for its time. Look at the graphics. You can swing right over the alligators. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I was wondering why that game never got franchised. I mean, there was Pitfall 2, the Lost Caverns or whatever. Uh, whatever, the Pitfall continues or something. Yeah. And then there was another one like later on, I think it was more like a PC game, like the Mayan Adventure or something. Right. This maybe four games overall, four or five. I think I only ever borrowed that third one. I, I never owned it. It was never mine. It was always borrowed. <laughs> I'll have to Aztec and see if I can find it. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> it just, that kind of mystifies me. That seems like a, a license to print money. Like, why they don't make, like, Pitfall games? I, I mean, I can see the difference between Pitfall, what was his name? Pitfall Tony, Pitfall Jack, Pitfall Harry. Pete. Harry, I see. I would eventually got to that name, but and 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 what's her face from Tomb Raider? Lara Croft. Like Lara Croft, be based on the audience for those games. You know what's amazing? Like how good of a game Pitfall was, right? Yeah. It was fun. It was kind of like one of those infinitely fun games because you know you could always try to do better, you know, with the scoring and the the timer and all that stuff. Right. And it's the juxtaposition of how good that game was and how big a piece of crap jungle hunt was you remember jungle hunt i don't remember jungle hunt oh jungle hunt was a quarter muncher and it had like four screens and the first one you like swung and then the second one you had oh yeah you swam right yeah yeah, the second one with a knife with a hit in your hand and you had yeah i remember that one yes that game sucked on ice that was like I hated that game so much. Whenever I got emulators and I could stop playing all the old games, and I was like, yep. oh, Jungle Hunt, yeah, I got to Oh, God, I, like, never played it. <laughs> this game is terrible. Yeah. I don't know why Pitfall never franchised. I think probably because at the time it was coming out, it was it was hard to get. It was hard to do something that didn't just immediately just automatically duplicate what you're doing. Even, like, Donkey Kong Jr. was different enough from Donkey Kong that they had to spend a lot of money to do it. And, and if Atari was anything, yep. and, and the, the licensees for Atari were anything, they were, like pump out games and get more cartridges you know so i don't know that they would have activision would have put the money in to make something that would have been significantly different enough to make it playable in the short term over and over again Uh, but i'm more talking like now but then again you know the people that would be like oh a new pitfall game we're going to be you know generation x like us 
And right. that's not who they're trying to sell video games to, you know? Right. You know, who wants to listen to you and me go like, oh, you know what? If you like this emulated version, hold on. Let me go to dig through the closet of shit that I have to find my old Atari 2600. That would be great if they did like a, a, a modern version of Pitfall. But whenever you swang on a rope, it still did the... <laughs> the same like one one bit sound. Yeah, the same, yeah, the same fidelity, right? <laughs> All right, let's get on to the show. But before we get on to the show, once again, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for my very popular and always well-received uh, trivia question. Uh, today's trivia question for you. I'll pick A. Mr. Jeff. I'm going to say New York City. <laughs> the year 1984. There is a... a, a what is the Husqvarna River? <laughs> Right. Something you see every single day of your life and you don't know what it's called, but I'm going to tell you what it's called. You just don't know what I'm talking about. Ready? Okay. What is an octothorpe? Octothorpe? Yes. And it's an eight-legged thorpe. Listen. Ready? Listen. Octothorpe. Hear that? Uh, Bill. Octothorpe. Bill? Yeah. Is somebody there with you? No. Just just, just my Google pronunciation or just to make sure I'm saying it right. Octothorpe. Octothorpe. Yep. Wow, I wonder how you can get that Octothorpe pronunciator to say, like, Jeff is hot. <laughs> um, no, jeez, uh, I have no idea. I'll have to think about this okay. and come up with something. All right, you think, and uh, we'll start the show while you're thinking. And whose turn is it? Your turn? It's your turn. It's my turn. Hey, speaking of franchises, <laughs> June, June 14th, uh, 1993, uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia, a woman delivers the last two of her triplets. Okay. First baby being delivered 45 days earlier. Oh, wow. She's trying to show off uh, to the girl from last week's trivia question. Right? So, like, following up on last week, there's the longest time between twins. Yeah. And then 45 days later, it's like, I'll show you. I've also got twins, but I first had one first (laughs) 45 days ago. So She must have said to her OBGYN, she's like, look, the record is 87 days. What can we do about this? And he goes, well, (laughs) I don't recommend trying to beat that record, but why don't we set a new one? Right. Let's let's change the category. Yep. <laughs> Therefore, we don't have to work quite as hard. So, well, congratulations to those babies who are now with me calculating madly backwards through my brain. Something like thirty-two years old now. Happy birthday for the two of you, and less so the other one who came out early. It must have been tough though when they were testing to see if that one was done. <laughs> like, oh, this one's not done yet. We can't put it back in. They're like, what do we do? So they have to put it in like the baby studio apartment. The uh, <laughs> Unborn baby studio apartments, the incubator, while the other two, like, all of a sudden they've got a rec room in the in the womb there. You ever see triplets that, like, one of them doesn't look anything like the other two? That must, this must have been the case with with this, you know? Wow, those twins are your sisters? Well, yeah, we're triplets. Come on, were you adopted? <laughs> no, that's the, we all came out of this, yeah, get out of town. Here, pull the other one. Yeah. I don't believe that. <laughs> Seriously, what do you have, a different dad? Is that what it is? All right, let's get on to the 15th. June the 15th, 1992. <laughs> uh, Intellectual giant and vice president of the United States. Former vice president of the United States, Mr. Dan Quayle. The name Dan Quayle just makes you go, oh. So there was a, uh, a spelling bee going on, and a, a young gentleman got the word potato, and the young gentleman spelt the word potato, P-O-T-A-T-O. And Dan Quayle goes, wrong, loser. Said to the kid, no, it's P-O-T-A-T-O-E. And then everybody's like, no, actually, you're a freaking ding-dong. <laughs> There's no E at the end of potato. Which I'm sure that at the elementary school, elementary school <laughs> where this was taking place, elementary school where this was taking place, there was a, a nanosecond where all of the teachers were like, do we just say that that's how we spell potato today and be done with it? <laughs> And we'll fix things with the kids later. We'll fix it in post. Or this going to be a thing. And it was clearly a thing. It was being, I don't know if it was being shown on C-SPAN, but I remember seeing the. F- this is 1992. I mean, this is a good 15 years before like America Online would even be a thing. And like the, yeah, the world, yeah. you know, the, the term viral video wouldn't be invented for another so many years. This is the kind of dumb thing you'd see on something like like a current affair, right? Yeah. Remember, like the news shows that weren't really news. It was like you know, syphilitic Mongolian had a cross-eyed bat for a baby. <laughs> like that's the kind of news that that show had, and that's where you typically see stuff like this. But this shit was like national news. Like poor Dan Rather. Like today in America, Vice President Dan Rather revealed he could not spell the word potato. <laughs> today in America, so many people re-registered as Democrats. <laughs> They've begun the potato party. Um, uh, Americans but- came to the stunning revelation that their Vice President was a ring ding 
<laughs> when asked for comment, George W. Bush said, well, I guess we'll be working on finding another candidate for the next election because he's clearly not going to be doing it. Uh, but yeah, terrible, terrible thing. Like that one minute and you can see in his face, he's like, uh, so this is what happens when the imposter syndrome really catches up with you. Like you're just not smart enough for the job that you have. And now everybody knows it. Well, uh, let's see if Home Depot's hiring. Uh... <laughs> Uh, let's see. H O M E. Is that E? It's again? definitely an E at that one, yeah. D D E P O T A T O E. Damn it! No! Yeah. And it's like one of those gaffes like that just like destroyed it destroyed his career. You know? Yeah. Just like Well, it, it definitely took him out of politics. Yeah. At that point it was like, yeah, you can't be anything. Yeah. You're going to live off your pension for now. Yeah. That's like, you are one heart attack away from being the president of the United States. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, like, usually those guys, like, end up in, like, a think tank or something, like the Cato Institute. Like, he doesn't end up any, in any of those places because they would have been like, well, today <laughs> today we'll be discussing the importance of macroeconomics and a flat tax on people earning less than $250,000 a year. Dan, you're going to be doing this word search. Yeah. Dan, you're getting an orange apron and telling people where to find hammers. <laughs> Tried to get you a job at Subway, but there's so many different types of sandwiches. <laughs> Especially if somebody orders the tomato basil wrap, you'd just be like, what? <laughs> oh, no, no. T-O-M-A-T-O. No! All right, let's get on to the 16th. June 16th, 1884. The very first roller coaster opens in Coney Island, New York. This roller coaster, well, technically, it's it's not the prototype of roller coasters, but it's ultimately the prototype of roller coasters that people paid to go and ride on. Right. Yeah. So it's the very first one. And all roller coasters that would come after start here. We're, yeah, every roller coaster that came better were spectacularly better than this one. Right. Uh, this, I'm, right. Looking, I'm looking at, well, it's not a picture, it's a drawing. But I'm looking at a picture of it now, and uh, it kind of goes in a straight line. Like, there's no turns. Like, it went, out, it went out, you know, X amount of yards and then came back X amount of yards. And it had a couple of hills in there, here and there. It traveled at a whopping hairdo-destroying six miles an hour. Right. Literally, kids go faster on their big wheels than... <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. There, am, I, am I aging myself or what? Big wheels. Holy cow. It's definitely yeah. big wheels. Wow. But the thing was, like, crazy, crazy popular, like... It cost five cents to go on it, and they would rake in like 600 bucks a day. That's a ton yeah. of money. As we're talking about this, Bill, I, I went to look at a picture of the thing, too, and there's a great there's a great drawing. I don't know where it's from, but it says, First Roller Coaster in America, Coney Island, New York, June 16th, 1884. And in this picture of like just an oval-shaped roller coaster, it has cars flying off the tracks. Oh, my God. <laughs> in, in the drawing. But, At six uh, miles an hour. Now, Coney Island is home to the Cyclone roller coaster that was built in, I'm going to say 1925, around there. And like the next year, the same guy that built that roller coaster built a roller coaster basically in our backyard, the Lincoln right. Park roller coaster, which was called... Right, the Comet. Comet. I think it's, it's just a coaster on it, yeah. It was a Comet yeah. coaster, yeah. Like there was always rumors that thing that thing derailed and stuff like that. Oh, it did. And it, I know it did, but like... The common myth was that it derailed, like, you get that visual that it, it derailed on, like, the, you know, like, on the big drop or going around one of the corners or something like that. But it derailed basically coming into the station. Yeah. It derailed. And I think one person got injured or killed. It, it killed a couple people. Yeah. Um, not at the same time. There a couple different incidents. Yeah. Both cases, it was as it was coming back down into the station and brakes failed or something, yeah. and it went careening and smashed into stuff and threw the people out. So. Well, those roller coasters, they were like crazy, like, oh, just, we just need this bar to go down over your lap, you know? And right. that was it. There was no seatbelt. It was just like, yeah, just hold on. You'll be fine. Right. You know, now you get into right. roller coasters, it's like, okay, we got this five-point harness. And, uh, right, there's a parachute back yeah. there. And, uh, <laughs> and if you look underneath, there's a couple of airbags. And I, now, I know you don't really do roller coasters now because of health concerns, but prior yeah. prior to health concerns, did you have a favorite roller coaster or at least favorite style of roller coaster? Man, yeah, I didn't go on a lot of them. I liked the loop-de-loop ones like they had at Rocky Point Park, but the ride was so fast. Oh, that one, yeah. It was yeah. like 15 seconds, and I was like, okay, it was a, I stood in line for like 150 times longer than it took to go on that right. ride. And so I sort of found myself liking the wooden coasters better. I love but, I love the wooden coasters, yeah. like the older ones like that, because right. like modern roller coasters, they're all like designed by and with computers. 
where right. that one was like, you know, the guy had like a, a blueprint table, a ruler, right. a protractor, protractor, and like yeah. an abacus, you know? Right. I'm going to become a tycoon by doing Yeah, yeah. <laughs> roller coaster tycoon. Right. Uh, as far as like modern roller coasters, I, I really like, I think the Hulk coaster at Universal Studios is my favorite one. Yeah, my, my kids went on that one a bunch of times. Yeah, I really like that one. And personally, I don't like inverted roller coasters. The ones where your feet are dangling. I've never been on yeah, one. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really care for those. Don't get me wrong. I'll go on any one you want me to go on. I am a roller coaster guy. Those are my least favorite style. Again, I because of my cardiac issues, I'm, I'm those are a no no for me. All right. So moving on to the seventeenth on June seventeenth, eighteen seventy one. This lovely couple got married. Her name was Anna Swan. His name was Martin Van Buren Bates. She was. 7 feet 11 inches tall 8 inches 3 inches tall in heels and he and he was 7 foot 7 and a half inches tall you know he had to throw that half inch because he's already like 4 inches shorter than her he's like no 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 no. Gonna, it's only 3 and a half people are going to think it's weird when we hold hands walking down yeah. the street 7 foot 11 barefoot that's so big yeah. if she was standing in the room that I was in yeah. now she would hit her head on the smoke alarm above the door Every time she went in and out of the bedroom. Damn it, Anna. The only real benefit would be like, hey, can you change the battery in that? <laughs> like, of course I can. They, they should have, I have to duck, but I can do it, yeah. They should change their names to Mr. and Mrs. Freaky Big. That's so tall. Holy cow. They must have had some fun, like, doing things like going to the YMCA pool and just stand in the deep end and are still, like, chest high. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's low. It's, it's not that. Come on in. You'll be fine. Yeah, I, I work with a girl at uh, one of the haunted houses, and she was about... Uh, I'm going to say, for average, I'm going to say she's about 6'3". She's a very, very, very tall girl. 6'3 is very tall. And this woman is 7'11". Right. I can't even look at that. I can't even think of what that looks like. Like, I come up with a bunch of practical questions. Like, you have to have, a, at that point, you have to have a special house. You have to have special cabinets. You have to have special appliances. Right. Because you can't, I, I couldn't cook if my stove was at, like, just above my knees level. <laughs> right, yeah. You know what I mean? I couldn't cook on it. Like, it would be like playing with a toy stove, but I could burn my house down with it. It must have been, it must have been so challenging especially in like the 1800s, to be able to have a place that didn't make you feel like you were the, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it, like to, to make it so that you could function as people. How do you think they met? It had to be a blind date. Oh, I got the perfect girl for you. No way. Personal ads. <laughs> Gotta be personal ads. Like only seeking tall man. <laughs> <laughs> it must be at least seven feet tall and five inches. God, this broad's picky. Oh my God. Like, oh, she must be, you know, she must like tall men. And then he gets there. He's like, God damn it. You're almost a foot taller than I am. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy that she's the taller one in this thing. He's no slouch, man. Seven foot eight. I've seen Hulk Hogan in person, right? And that right. guy is freaky big that guy's like six foot nine six foot ten something like that this girl is a full foot taller than that i'm just, i can't i'm still i can't get my head yeah, did, this. did they did they have kids any idea the picture uh they have a it looks like they have a son and he looks short compared to them but he's probably i'm sure he's probably like you know about yeah, normal height like five ten five yeah you know, six right. feet tall like, yeah right so that must have been must have been I'm just trying to imagine what it was like for them making that kid. It must have looked like two Japanese spider crabs having a wrestling match at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Oh, oh my God. There's going to be some some Pornhub category some for this. Yeah. Some octothorping. Yeah. Going on for sure. <laughs> All right. Let, yeah. let's, let's, this is a, I don't know how much more we can milk on this. Let's uh, let's get on to the 18th. All right, June 18th, bringing it a little bit closer to modern day. Uh, in 2001, The Fast and the Furious, the first of a giant franchise of films, the first film directed by Rob Cohen, star starring Paul Walker, who was pretty much unknown, Vin Diesel, also pretty much unknown, and Michelle Rodriguez, also pretty much unknown at that time, yep. premiered. And I saw that film opening night. Did you? And I did. That film came out like three months after this terrible Stallone racing movie. Formula One racing movie. I cannot remember the name of, of it, but it was awful. Oh, I don't even remember. Yeah. So I went to see The Fast and the Furious fully expecting it to suck. And I absolutely loved every minute of it. Really? All of us that were there. Loved it. Loved it. I saw the second one in the cinema. Third one never made it to the cinema because it was that was direct to DVD and cable. Was it Tokyo Drift and was the third Tokyo one? Tokyo Drift. And then because it, the second one in Tokyo Drift and the first one ended up doing so well on cable TV and in DVD sales... They recut the end of Tokyo Drift to put Vin Diesel in it. 
<laughs> and then they made number four, which I saw in the cinema. Number five, which I also saw in the cinema. And number six, which I was going to see in the cinema, but then life intervened and I just never got a chance to. When we talk about franchises earlier, mm-hmm. it was the most unlikely thing to think that this movie could become this movie, which was a, a cheapo knockoff of Point Break, which was already a 10-year-old movie, right? starring a bunch of nobodies made for no money, would end up becoming something that makes a half a billion dollars when it opens oh, and right. draws in talent like Vin Diesel's a superstar now, The Rock, Jason Statham, I think Jackie Chan was in one of them. I mean, there's like everybody that can be in these movies is in them. Wasn't there like a, like a sideways sequel? It wasn't called Fast and the Furious, but it had characters from Fast and the Furious in it? Uh, yes, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. So that's Jason Statham and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So like, again, it's that weird thing where sometimes stuff catches on yep. and it draws in a giant audience that otherwise wasn't there. You know, well, the thing that made the first film, The Fast and the Furious, so accessible and so fun is that it took the time to make the characters interesting and memorable and relatable, yeah. which it, the, the sequel didn't do that as much. But the first film really, really did. And it turns out that Vin Diesel is a good actor. Paul Walker is a good actor. Michelle Rodriguez is a really good actress. And they were able to like really add a lot of gravitas to their parts and made the film really fun. And it didn't feel like you were watching like a dumb car race movie, you know, even though car racing was a part of it. So it's great, great flick. The bad part about that, though, like the, the bad off shot was all of a sudden, everybody that went to see that movie suddenly thought that they were race car drivers. It's true. Car modification became very popular, you know, putting the rims and... Putting, right. putting the muffler on the car that makes it <laughs> makes it sound like my, my friend calls it a a, a, a bag of bees because that's what it sounds like my favorite kind of math does like it works like this 2002 Honda Accord dealer value five thousand dollars BBS 20 inch chrome rims retail price one thousand five hundred dollars low profile 75 r 20 tires retail price two thousand dollars paint job with uh, flashy colors and gloss eight hundred and fifty dollars combined value. $3,000. They, they invested a lot more money than the, it didn't make the car worth, the, you know, the resale value yeah. of it wasn't there. I remember I had gone on a date with this girl. She and We actually went to see a Vin Diesel movie. We went to see uh, Triple X. She drove, right? Well, just to give you a visual because you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we're in Westport. And it's that part of the highway where the speed limit slows down to 50 miles an hour. And I, I look over the speedometer and she's going 100. Right. That's two times as much as fifty. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't take a roller coaster engineer to figure that out. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I was like, "Hey, um, if I asked you to like kind of slow down, would you?" And she's like, "Why am I scaring you?" I'm like, "Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm white knuckling it over here." She's like, "Oh, I'll slow down. Don't worry about it." She's like, "But I know how to drive." And I'm like, "Yeah, Dan Lernot knew how to drive. <laughs> he was really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was his job. He was a professional driver, yeah. and he still ate wall. Yeah. And oh my God, like, I, please don't kill me on route to see a Vin Diesel movie. I don't want that in my <laughs> obituary. On his way to Triple X. <laughs> yeah, everybody in heaven's gonna be making fun of me. No. Would you think it was going to sell out? <laughs> <laughs> Jack off. That'll teach you. Damn it. All right. Next up. On June the 19th, 1939, Atlanta, Georgia becomes the first major U.S. city to ban pinball machines. Oh, my gosh. Stating that pinball would lead to gambling, moral decay, Crime. That explains a lot in my childhood right there, because my parents gave me one of those little toy pinball machines when I was like six. Yep. I'm a gambling addict now. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not actually. Yep. Want to bet? <laughs> the law imposed a fine of $20 and 30 days of public service. Uh, when I looked at it, it also said you got a handful of free tokens. <laughs> Which you could turn in for some novelty teeth, yeah. You know, I don't want to say this country is crazy, but this country is crazy. Yeah. Like, just like with banning stuff like that. I, I know the, the, the buzzword these days is like cancel culture. It's like, you know, go, don't get too wound up about it. Think about all the things that have been banned over the years that are completely innocent. You know, it's pinball, right. for Christ's sake. I was a big pinball guy. I don't know about you. I, lo- I still love pinball. If I find myself in a place that has pinball machines, I always drop on a couple bucks worth of quarters into them. I'm not great at it oh, yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. I am no deaf, dumb, and blind kid, but I am. <laughs> I like to play. I like to play against gravity. I like the way that to think about the way that the board is designed and how much thought went into like where the most rational paths are and how it 
manipulates the way the ball moves. I think that that's really interesting. Yeah, I have a, I don't want to say a friend, but he's an acquaintance, somebody I know. That's his hobby. He restores old pinball machines. And yeah, and I, I follow him on Instagram and he's always got these pitches. And that's like another thing that kind of gets overlooked when you think about like pinball machines is the artwork, you know, on the boards and stuff like that. Yeah. I love the old yep. like classic artwork on, on stuff like yep, that. Yeah, me too. Did you have a favorite pinball machine? Yes. Firepower was one. Oh, I like that one. That yeah. I, if, if I run into Firepower, I always play it. Yep. I have I have that one emulated on my PlayStation. Do you yep. really? Yeah. I loved I loved the big graphic of that with the big Delta Wing yep. airplane on it. I always thought that was a beautiful machine. And it's really wide, so there's a lot of variability in where the ball could go. Yep. And it's not it's it's not overrun with like ramps and tracks. No, it's very wide open. In the things. Middle, yeah. It's really wide open and really fun to play. That's 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 probably my favorite, yeah. I used to like this one called Doctor Dude. That was a very busy board. But I think if you were gonna like tally up like all my money like where my quarters went over the years i'm gonna say high speed was the one i probably put the most money in you remember that one yeah high speed's a great that was a great pinball machine yep. yes uh he got away yep. he what yeah that was a, that was a cool board yeah i like that one a lot i got that one emulated I, too i like that one that one had um that one had a highway run like around the top yes. right and it would shoot the ball out and, yeah and it would shoot the ball out on top but that was only open at certain points right. and, and the side flipper yeah yeah, you got the side flipper. I, yeah, that was a really good one. And for again, for a busy board, but it wasn't overwhelming. Like I like Adam's family. Yep. But that's got so much going on. It's hard to keep track of where the ball. That was are. a wicked busy board. Yeah, the uh, the high speed one. It kind of told a story, which is weird if you think about it with a pinball machine. And of course, the Kiss pinball machine, which was, which was I think in every arcade I ever went to as a kid and an, and an adult. Yeah, we had one. It was like right around the corner from me. It's like a, the the building's a subway now. But when I was a kid. They had a Kiss Pinball Machine. Of course, I would walk over there so I could play it. And then as an adult, I played the Kiss Pinball Machine over at Fun Spot mm-hmm. over in uh, Laconia. Yep, yep. Oh, my God, that board's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the worst part is, like, the, the foundation of the board, right, is the two, the two flippers at the very bottom. Yep. So that's, like, Gene and Paul. Yeah. And then there's the other two flippers. There's the one that kind of works sometimes. It's not that good. That's the one on the right. That's Peter Chris. And then there's the one that flakes out and just like keeps whacking at stuff, but never really gets the ball. And that's Ace Freely. The other one's drunk, and that one's Ace Freely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And the Peter Chris one just swears a lot. Yeah. 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 And eventually, it leaves the board to go be its own pinball machine, and then nobody <laughs> installs it anything. All right, and let's wrap up the week. Ending on a fun note, June 20th, 1980, the film The Blues Brothers, a foundational film in everybody's film canon, I'm sure, with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, as well as Frank Oz, Carrie Fisher. Twiggy. I think even Steven Spielberg is in that movie. Twiggy opens up in 594 theaters, which is a shitload of theaters in 1980. Oh, yeah. That's like almost nationwide opening. That's a giant opening. Might be wrong. I think I'm right, though, that that was the first Saturday Night Live movie, right? Was that was the? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the first movie based on Saturday Night Live characters. I don't know. I, I think that they were doing like the band thing before, but yeah, that's. I, I know that's the first one that came out of Saturday Night Live, at least as far as with John Belushi and yeah. Dan Aykroyd in it. Right. So, but I mean, yeah, there's yeah. been a, a ton of Saturday Night Live uh, like movies along the way, and like the only ones that were any good were the Blues Brothers and probably the Wayne's World movies. And other than that, all the other ones. Are- Hard. They're what hard. They're hard like, to get through. Is like what I'm wondering is like how many times the Blues Brothers as characters appeared on Saturday Night Live, where they weren't just a musical act because they Lorne Michaels couldn't get a musical act that week. You know what I mean? Oh, that right. that kind of weird thing. Like yeah. they didn't, they were never like they they were never like characters on the show. Yeah, they weren't skit characters, right? But they they weren't skit characters. But they came out and they did songs from you know Briefcase Full of Blues or whatever. Right. But I don't know how many times they did that before the film came out, or if the characters were part of that. If that stuff all started kind of simultaneously and realized they realized really early on that they had something going with music and yeah, they just kind of built this mythos right. within the movie. And I absolutely love that movie. I think that's probably in like one of my, if not my top ten, then my top twenty-five. I freaking love that movie. It's super duper quotable. Still, yeah. I still enjoy it. I still, I've seen that movie a hundred times and. I still watch it with my kids and sing along with it, and it's great. Every time I watch it, I find something new in it that I like. The, yeah, the music is fantastic in that movie. That's one of my that, another one. That's another one of my favorite soundtracks. Well, I'll still go back and listen to it. I actually just uh, not not long ago. It was like right before, right before the lockdown started. So we'll say like two Februarys ago. We went to see the Blues Brothers at a theater. Did you? Yeah, there was a theater in Boston that did like one month of like every every Thursday for maybe it was more than a month. It was like a couple of months. 
But every Thursday they would show like an old classic movie. Oh yeah, for, yeah, yeah. For, yeah. For, yep. for free. Oh nice. Yeah, all you had to do was reserve your ticket. You could go. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, we saw the Blues Brothers over there. And it was real. I mean, like I said, I've seen the movie a bunch of times. I have it on Blu-ray and all that. And I have the director's cut, which, you know, you have to watch in three-hour increments. <laughs> yes, it, that was movie was shot in real time yeah. or edited into real time. Yeah. yeah, but it was, yeah, super, super fun to see it in the theater. All right. Well, you know, Blues Brothers notwithstanding, we probably ought to get to the celebrity birthday. Oh, should we? Shall we? All right, so first up in the celebrity birthdays, June the 14th, 1963, guitarist for the heavy metal band Queensryche. I like the little inflection at the end of your at the end of your voice there. Heavy metal? Chris DiGarmo, uh, or as many people would know, the one with the hat. So Queensryche, I I really liked them at one point. They like their first album was an EP that was pretty cool. The second album it was all right. Third album, Rage for Order, was better than they came out with Operation Mindcrime in 1988. Concept record that was great. I still go back and listen to that record. Oh my god, not a clunker, not a clunker on that album. I have a funny relationship with that record. I had it. I got it when it first came out, and I like I listened to it like every day for months yep. and loved it and loved it and loved it. And then eh, you know drifted into other music and stuff and didn't really go back to it. And then I think you gave me a copy. Yep a few years back and I'm like oh my god Operation Mindcrime and I listened to it and like for two weeks I was like this is the greatest album ever my god it's so good and then in the third week I was like five of these songs are great three of them kind of suck and then like a week later I'm like uh, all right, the theme of this record is good, but the central relationship between the characters, I don't believe. And, and then the fourth week, it's like, this is clearly written by a bunch of 20-year-olds who don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then I put it away for a year. And then I come back to it in a year, and I'm like, this is the greatest album I've ever had. <laughs> and it starts all over again. It's the funniest thing. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata, yes. Yeah. The Queensryche Hakuna Matata. You floored me one time. You were like, that album's great except for one moment. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy, the guy goes, even in death, you still look sad. <laughs> so freaking bad. Such a terrible line. It's it's hard when that's like the emotional, like literally the emotional core, yeah. the nugget of the album that everything turns on. And I hear it and I crack up laughing because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> All right, next up. Uh, June 15th, 1950, a man who made his career out of eating things that aren't really things is his name was monsieur mangatu or mr eat it all or as i call him the french guy with pica <laughs> he's eaten among other things a cessna light aircraft 10 bicycles seven tvs six chandeliers a shopping cart and a coffin um, <laughs> and a in the pantry. He, he also claimed that bananas and hard-boiled eggs made him sick he died in 2007 i don't know if it was related to what he had for dinner the night before <laughs> but it might very well be he's more than a french omnivore he's like a human recycling center this guy must shit frying pans. He, yeah, I was gonna say he must have shit silverware. Oh god, it's nuts and bolts again. Oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a while, guys. I'm gonna need some mucinex or something. Oh shit! How do you eat an airplane and ten bicycles? I don't know. If it's me, it better have some hot sauce on it. All right, moving on to the 16th, June the 16th. 1953, drummer from the greatest band in the world, Marillion, Ian Mosley. I'm going to also mention June the 16th, 1959, a man by the name of Jim Helwig, who later changed his name legally to Warrior, who people would know as the Ultimate Warrior. Now known as the Dead Warrior. Yeah. Uh, at one time known as the Dingo Warrior, but now he's just... Cuckoo, you know, best known for being cuckoo bananas. He, he, I think he had like, like an undiagnosed mental illness, like at the end of the last few years of his life where he was really like up and down. I mean, I've seen interviews with him where he was just, it was like listening to somebody who, who, who really didn't have the same grasp on reality that they had had. Oh, he was out of it just when he was doing his, before. was he really? When he was doing his promos in the WWE, he would just be like, in our cauldron of the warriors. And then, <laughs> and then they would make all these like things and people were like, I don't, are you speaking english what are you talking but about here's the thing though is that he was doing that when he was out of the wwe though oh, so he was yeah. like at denny's like <laughs> oh uh, have you decided if you'd like some coffee sir i would like the cauldron of doom <laughs> like that's like you're at denny's and we have we put cheese on everything so i'll put in for a cheese omelet and the full moon rises over the moons of miami yeah the last few years where he was he was still carrying around the persona but he was like Dude, you're not a wrestler anymore. He's like, I am. I'm dude. Take the man out of the wrestling ring, but you can't take the wrestling ring out of the man. Everybody hated working with him. 
because he he worked Wicked Stiff, and he wasn't really that great of a wrestler. And the funny story was, uh, well, one week he was doing a, a run with Andre the Giant, and there was this one spot where Warrior was supposed to, like, run and clothesline Andre. And then after the match, Andre was like, boss, you got to slow down. You're, you're, you're going too fast. So the next night, Warrior does it again. And this time he hits Andre even harder. So backstage, he's like, boss, I'm telling you, you got to slow down. Third night, does it again, even harder. The fourth night, Andre puts his fist out and just clocks Warrior. <laughs> just And Warrior's like staring at the rafters at that point. Just like, he just right. housed him right in the middle of the ring. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, getting punched by Andre the Giant is like getting, it's like getting run over by a moderately sized car. <laughs> Right. All right. Next up, June seventeenth, nineteen fifty-eight. Personal hero of mine, a guy named Eric Reed Boucher, or as he's better known to the world, Jello Biafra. Yes. The leader of the Dead Kennedys and owner of Alternative Tentacles Records, a literal foundational block in the building blocks of my musical repertoire as a child and teenager and adult and even now still somebody i go back to to listen to talk and listen to make music with other fronting for other bands so love the guy i came along with the dead kennedys i had like heard of them you know but i never really listened to them and i i I had some friends that were like really into like heavy metal and I, i was more like not you know i liked other stuff and all that i remember being over like a mutual friend's house so i was there with my heavy metal friends and I'm looking through this dude's, this other dude's uh, records, and he had some Dead Kennedy stuff. I was like, oh, wow, you have Dead Kennedys. I've never heard these guys, but I've wanted to. So we put it on, and my heavy metal friends are like, oh, my God, what is this crap? Meanwhile, I'm, like, looking in my pockets to see if I have any blank cassettes right. so I could tape it. Yeah, I, yep. from the second I heard them, I loved them. First song I heard was... Kill the poor. For me, it was, I was standing at Tape World. Remember Tape World at the mall? Yes. And I was in one of those transitional periods, I guess. And I was like, well, I'm tired of the Who, and I'm tired of the Beatles, and I'm tired of all the sh- stuff I was listening to. And I had a little bit of disposable income from working for my dad at the restaurant. And I bought two tapes. I bought um, Frankenchrist, and I bought an EP by a band called Creator, which is a metal yep, band. I remember them. And I was like, going to go one way or the other. Bought them both, and sat in my car, and listened to the Creator tape, and was like, ah, that was good. And I put in Frankenchrist, and was like holy this is the best thing i've ever listened to in the history of any and that's so weird because frank and christ is an album that doesn't really sound like the dead kennedys it sounds much different from their other stuff yeah and i ended up over the next two or three weeks by going back and buying plastic surgery disasters and giving convenience give me death and in god we trust incorporated anything i get my hands on jello biafra started to do spoken word stuff that i started to buy and he started to release records with other bands like no means no and Steel Pole Bathtub and Mojo, all these other bands. Mojo just, Nixon, yeah. Mojo Nixon, yeah, and, and Narduar and a bunch of... The, uh, the album he did with DOA, I remember you bought that on my 21st birthday. Yeah, Last Scream of the Missing yep, Neighbors. Yep, yep, That's That album's fantastic. Not a clunker. The whole album's great, yep. All right, moving on to the 18th. June the 18th, 1942, the oldest living dead member of the Beatles, <laughs> Sir Paul McCartney, maybe. <laughs> or Billy Shears, yep. collecting two birthdays every yep. year. <laughs> Paul McCartney, a.k.a. the cute one from the Beatles. I mean, really, what more can you say about the guy? He actually put out a new album earlier this year, and it, it's yeah. not bad. Huh? No, it, that's all I can say. It's it's not bad. Is it's nothing outstanding about it, but it's it's good. It's good. I liked it. To me, he's like he's not like all the other like older rockers, but he he definitely sort of has that same cachet where he, it doesn't matter what he puts out now. He could put out a record of him just saying like "Get the fuck off my lawn, you kids!" <laughs> for forty four minutes, and it would still be a decent record. Yeah. But when people say like "I'm listening to Paul McCartney today," oh, you listening to the new record? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, <laughs> no. I've got wings on. It's like uh, I saw Rush, and Rush plays like all their hits, and then they're like, eh, "This is the one for our new record for the seven people." who are going to buy it and it's like eight guys in the front are like yeah and they play like this nine minute song that nobody hears and everybody goes out to buy beer and then they come back in and then they go back and they play another song that everybody knows from like way back in their catalog exactly the same thing that happened when I saw Ringo Starr the last living Beatle you know with the all star band he goes alright we're going to do a song off the new album and the song is called Piss Break <laughs> Let's get on to the 19th. June 19th, 1897, a man known as Moses Horowitz, known more widely as Mo Howard, the uh, leader of the Three Stooges, is born in Brooklyn, New York. And he lived a long time. He sure did, yeah. He died in the 70s, like the the 1970s, yeah. 
Shrewd businessman, funny guy. Yep. Interesting, interesting biography for sure. And definitely one of those, again, one of those people that I, I feel like I know just by virtue of how much of his work I've seen. Yeah, exactly. There was, I was reading up the, how, how the eye poke started was a, a bunch of them were like, you know, backstage, you know, because they were a vaudeville act first. So they were backstage and they were playing cards. And I don't remember who it was that got pissed off at the other one, but he poked him in the eyes. And right. Mo thought it was the funniest thing. Right. So that's how the eye poke got, like worked into the skit because it happened for real and Mo just thought it was freaking hilarious. My, uh, my favorite story from him was his last television appearance. He was on the Merv Griffin show. Yep. And somebody in the audience brought with him a lemon meringue pie. And he asked Mo Howard, would you hit me in the face with the pie? That would be an absolute honor to be hit in the face with the pie by the legendary Mo Howard. So Mo Howard obliged the guy and freaking floored him. He went, wham! Yeah, he didn't. He did not pull the punch at all. He just whacked the guy. Seventy some odd years old. He just floored, right, right, right. took the guy right off his feet. Yep. I loved in the biography of the Three Stooges as a group. Yeah. That when they got to their later years, when they had like um, Joe Besser, and then the last guy was was it maybe the Joe Besser was the last guy I can't remember who had the stipulation that he he couldn't be touched. Oh, the, like he didn't the, like physical comedy. Yeah, the one that right? yeah, the one that was like, oh, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's Dorita. Like, I think his name was Joe. Dorita. Oh yeah, Joe Dorita. Yes, yeah. I'm sorry, that's Joe Dorita. Yes, who couldn't be touched, and it was in his contract that Mo would never touch him. So <laughs> I was like, why did you hire that guy? Um, but even those appearances are funny. Right. But like the thing with Mo is like Mo had language humor, he had slap stick he had screwball humor there was a lot of situational comedy in all of those films yep. they, like they worked like dogs that's one of the reasons i think curly died as young as he did was the the insane schedule that they kept because they toured when they weren't making films they went and played dance halls and stuff and and timeless because you can still watch them and it's still hilarious to this day still funny that's right and wrapping up the birthdays on june the 20th a guy named Christopher Mintz Plass. He was born in 1989. The world would know Mr. Plass as McLovin from the Superbad movie. Yes, and Red Mist from the Kick-Ass movies, which I liked a lot. Yeah, he's, um, it's one of those things where, like, McLovin was such a a great character. He's such a funny character in that movie that, unfortunately, it kind of pigeonholed him. And you don't really see him in a lot. He's got a big list of stuff that he's done. Wasn't he in that end of the world movie that Seth Rogen made? Yes, he was in that. But I mean, there. I mean, look, you can't even name it. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was in movie forty three as well. But he's done a lot of voiceover work, like the How to Train Your Dragon movies. He's cool. He's, I mean, it's hard to believe. I mean, to me, he's McLovin. You know. But, I mean, now the guy's like, what, 30, looks like he's 32 years old. Yeah. I really liked his portrayal of Red Mist in kick-ass movies. Yeah. He brought a lot of, he brought a lot of energy to that part. Yeah, I, I, I liked him. And the, the, those, those movies are super well cast. They have v- yes. very good casting in those movies. Yeah. And the, the, the soundtrack is cool for the kick-ass movies. I love how they use the Dickies yeah. uh, in that. Because they could have went the other direction. They could have included... Worst song ever. All right, Jeff. This week's worst song ever. Uh, we're we're going we're going deep. We're diving deep into uh, a genre more popularly known as bubblegum. Oh yeah, we talk about bubblegum music a lot because it's like hat. What's one foot in novelty records? Yeah, it's one foot in like teeny bopper records. Right. It's yeah. It's, it's it's fish in a barrel. And for some reason, when you've got one foot in novelty records and one foot in teeny bopper records, you can apparently sell a load of records. Right. And that's and that's the thing we've discussed before. It's like you know, this is the music business. This isn't the music hobby. Right. And right. if you're trying to make money, you're going to aim for the lowest common denominator. So this week's contender for the worst song ever is a song called Yummy, 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 I've Got Love in My Tummy by uh, a band uh, called Ohio Express. Before we uh, get into the, the bio of Ohio Express, let's just play this clip and get it out of the way. Okay. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Kind of like, like what you do 
that happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can still hear this song on oldies radio, like probably every three hours. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like when, like I like whenever it comes on, like whatever avenue leads me down, and, and like like the first couple of times I heard it. I actually, up until researching the whole project over here over the last week, couldn't even believe the song existed. It's like, come on, this doesn't—it's not a thing, is it? Right, right. And it kind of isn't a thing. Ohio Express wasn't really a band. This, there was this right. this guy. His name was Joey Levine. You know, he's a songwriter, and he wrote the song and he recorded a demo of it with uh, you know just a bunch of studio musicians from New York, and they right. they played it for Neil Bogart. And Neil Bogart, you would might know the name. He later on, yeah, he later on founded Casablanca. Casablanca Records, yeah. The uh, the label. Kings of the money-grabbing, sort of kings of the let's put out just pop records. Art for money's sake. Yeah, well, yeah, they're who who made Kiss, Village People, and Donna Donna Summer Summer famous, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Neil Bogart liked the demo so much, he's like, no, we're just going to put this out. And the thing was, is like, Ohio Express didn't, they weren't a band. They weren't a band. Yeah, they weren't real. No. So they, yeah, they got. It was kind of like a, a a mashup in between Millie Vanilli and the Archies because they had these like five guys that they took pictures of and they put them on the album cover and they're like Ohio Express and then they had like those same five guys would like do the television exper- uh, uh, appearances and lip sync to the song, but those five guys had nothing to do with the with the band. <laughs> it's one of those where they find themselves like, hey, we've got a number four record in the United States. We do, man. We can make a ton of money if we tour on this record, can't we? And they're like, yeah. Yes. Like, uh... Does any one of you sound... Does, any, anyone, does anybody here have a guitar we can borrow? Does any one of you sound like Joey Levine whenever they say, right. Yummy, yummy, uh, yummy, yeah. I got... Yes, and that's how it goes. And I feel like loving you. A, a funny thing about this song, like, I was just thinking back to, like, at the time period that this song was, was out. This song came out in 68. Yep. So there's a run of, like, really heavy-duty music that comes out between 67 and 70. So there's, like, The Doors... The end. Yeah. This is the end, right? I know, like, that's the extent. That's the extent of the number of lyrics I know to that song. Right. But I know all of the goddamn lyrics to Yummy Yummy Yummy. <laughs> because I sing along with Yummy 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 when I hear it. And I change the radio station when I hear the doors. The thing about bubblegum music and the reason why it does so well is because it's catchy. But okay. Yummy Yummy Yummy, I Got Love in My Tummy... That's that's not what I'm looking for musically, but you know what? Last night when I'm doing the research, I'm over there listening to the song. I looked up the chord progression, of which there is three. It's a Ramones. It's a Ramones. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And I'm over there playing it on the ukulele, and I was like, oh my god, this song's fun to play. You could be having the shittiest day, yep. coming home from work, you're in traffic, and you're like, you spin the radio because like you know you don't want to listen to MP3s and podcasts are all gloom and doom, and the news is that you know I don't want to listen to the news without putting a tube in my car and <laughs> pumping the exhaust in anymore and and you bump into this song and i swear to god two and a half minutes later you're like dancing around in the car with your steering wheel trying smiling at people and you're like yummy 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 i got love in my tummy and it's like this is a great day i i guess i don't have to destroy the world today two and a half minutes in you have to hit the repeat button yeah exactly well i mean it's again you're gonna hear it on the radio so it's gonna go right from that to a, like a used car lot ad but you're still gonna get that two minutes and 30 seconds of like I wish the song was just a little bit longer. And if it was a little bit longer, you'd say this song is too long by however much longer than two minutes and 30 seconds it is. Uh, Joey Levine wrote other songs for what would yep. be known as the Ohio Express. It's so funny that like the Millie Vanilli thing was like the biggest scandal in like music history. It's like, yeah, this has been going on since it yeah. started. Ohio Express had their riff going for like four years plus. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And like, and like after Joey Levine like stopped writing and recording songs for them, they carried on with other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Their follow-up single was called Chewy Chewy. So I think uh, Joey Levine has like, he's got a, he's got a type over here. Right. He also used to write jingles yeah. for like, like uh, commercials. That like was, after he got out of writing Yummy Yummy and stuff like that, he actually was part of a advertising group. That used to yeah. handle accounts like Diet Coke and stuff like that. The most famous one that I found that he actually had his fingers in was uh, the Sometimes You Feel Like a Nut, Sometimes You Don't. From oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's one of his. Yep. I was going to say, it brings us back to, remember we talked about Barry Manilow, I don't know, two or three months ago? Yeah. At, as a trivia question, and Bar- the trivia question was like, he wrote like, da 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 da, I'm loving it, or, yeah. or whatever the McDonald's jingle was. And yep. so there's there's something to be said for writing those super duper hooky pieces that lends itself to transitioning to or from advertising. All right. 
I'd like to find out who wrote the Give Me a Break, Break Me Off a Piece of That Kit Kat Bar because they've been using that freaking jingle since like 1986. Get a new jingle, guys. <laughs> why trade on? Why not just use what works? It, it's one of those like people all know it, you yeah. know? I don't know. People all know it. When they hear that, they're like, give me a break, give me a break. I'm going to go get a Kit Kat bar. I don't even like Kit Kat bars, but that's what I'm going to get. You know why? Because that song is stuck in my head. It's the only way I'm going to go away. You know what I'm going to get? An Octothorpe. Oh, I thought we were out of this. <laughs> all right. I have my answer to right, what is well, an Octothorpe. Let's, let's re-ask the question. There is a common thing that you see every day. It is known as an Octothorpe, but you know, you didn't know that's what it was called because it's got a bunch of other names. What is an octothorpe? Okay, so this is the easiest trivia question you've ever asked me, Bill, because the answer is it's eight thorps. And I have eight thorps. They're sprinkled around my house. There's a thorp <laughs> in the bathroom. I've got a thorp in my bedroom closet that keeps the, the moths down. There's a thorp in the kids' room. It's kind of weird, but All right. I don't say anything. I've got a thorp downstairs Reel it in the in, basement. Jeff. I've got two in my kitchen. Jeff! <laughs> I still have two thorps to go. I only have a hexathorpe now. Anyway, hashtag wrong answer. Yeah, an octothorpe is the tic-tac-toe-looking symbol that people know as the pound sign or the hashtag. The actual wow. name of that is an octothorpe. Next time I see you, I'm going to octothorpe you. <laughs> no, octothorpe you up the side. Octo- I'm going to octothorpe you upside the head. Yeah, I'm going to hashtag bitch slap you. <laughs> hashtag octothorpe. Well, now that I know that, and I've already forgotten, and I'll never <laughs> use that term again. That was fun. You've already forgotten. I'll tell you. I'm what? It's called a... Octothorpe. See? Did I tell you that I had a thorpe in the bathroom and a thorpe in the closet? Octothorpe. 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 All right. That's a wrap, guys. That's going to do it for this week. We will see you right back here next week. Have a great week, everyone. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. And goodnight, uh, Bill's Google girlfriend, producer <laughs> voice, whoever you are. Goodnight, everybody. Bye, guys. Special thanks to James Cosser for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.